0: Hey Breasties, it's Lala, and for new listeners, um, Breasties is what we call our loyal listeners at Radio Tatas. Um, This week Natalie is out of town, and so I have put together an episode that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I am bringing you an interview with a gentleman named Rob Fleury, who I have known For 20 years. Um, No need to say how long because then I'm aging myself. And given that this is the weekend of my birthday, I don't need to think about that right now. (laughs) But um, Rob Fleury is an old friend of mine, and he is not only a wonderful human being and a really cool person. He is a very talented artist and a very talented blacksmith and given that that is something that I am absolutely fascinated with, I wanted to bring you his story. So, without further ado, here's your next episode of
1: Radio Tatas. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it is the best. I mean, people are talking about it and it's time to for- You know what you're listening to? The best place. The best place in the world. It's the valley
0: between the mountains. It is Radio Tata's. The Radio Tata.
1: Good luck with Radio Tata's. You're listening to Radio Tata's. It's like TV Tata's, but boring.
0: No tata, radio Tatas is the name of the show, and uh, I like Tatas and I like Radio.
1: Radio Tatas is good to be with you. Baby. I love boots. Y'all, kiddies, for real, though, like Radio Tatas is very ambiguous, and you have like a lot of imaging that suggests boots are going to be seen. But listened to your podcast, and I have not seen any boots while listening.
0: Very disappointed. <inaudible> not angry. Love you, <inaudible> man. explosion. It's an early afternoon on a Saturday in Beaumont, Texas, and I'm at Spindletop, Gladys City, Boomtown. That's a museum designed to replicate what life was like in 1901, around the time they struck oil for the first time. And uh, one of the things that this city replicates is a blacksmith shop, a fully functioning blacksmith shop. And this is where I'm meeting my good friend Rob Fleury today.
2: Actually, it's not too bad.
1: Yeah, I didn't put a lot of fresh salt on it. This stuff has already had a lot of salt stuff out of it. The patent on it was 1840s. So What's the technical name for it? It's a blower. Just a blower. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I wanted to make it fancier, I guess. And I'm like, it's a blower. blower. <laughs> Clothes. It replaced some dude going,
1: yeah. <laughs> it replaced those big bellows that they had that took uh-huh. up like half the shop. Okay. So this was a huge innovation at that point. And you said
2: that one's how old? Like about 100 years?
1: That's, it's at least 100 years old probably about 110 years old. That's cool. Uh, it was original to, this is an old original shop not the building but all the equipment Uh uh-huh uh it's from a shop that used to operate downtown uh, in the early 1900s oh wow i think they they opened that shop in 1912 and the guy that opened it brought the shop down from san antonio Mm -hmm. and he'd already been working in san antonio for years when he did that wow Before I heat this up and can't see
2: them anymore. Now, how long did it take you to get, like, how hot is that right now?
1: This is uh, about 1100 degrees. Okay. And, uh, I don't know, it took about, what, three or four minutes?
2: Mm -hmm. and what is that exactly
1: oh this is a bracket okay uh that i'm building for the sissy bar for my motorcycle okay because sometimes i just do stuff for myself goes onto the back fender, and then this part will go up under the uh, bottom bracket here. Ah. And
2: hold it. See, I saw you walking in with that, and I was like, that must be a tool for whatever he's going to do today. <laughs> nope, no, not I, at all.
1: Nope, nope. No, well, I'm the, the only tool. You have to manipulate it.
2: And the key is to get it to a point before it starts to just melt. Right,
1: well, b- before it starts to burn. Uh, because steel doesn't really melt in a forge like this, it, it burns. Oh. And uh, you'll get a, a sparkly, it looks like a sparkler uh-huh. uh, at that point. And when it starts doing that, you're burning the carbon out of the steel. Okay. Which is exactly the thing you wish to avoid.
0: Right.
2: So, 13 13- you were 13 when you started? I was
1: 13 when I started. I made that sword right there. That was the first thing that I made. Seriously? Yep. I found it in my mom's backyard about a year and a half ago. I didn't know it was still around.
2: Huh. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. It was kind of shocking it was. Still in existence, yeah. I expected it to have rusted away, but. Uh,
2: so who started to teach you?
1: Uh, the public library system.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, really?
1: Yeah. There was nobody really doing it anymore uh, in Dayton when I was growing up. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So I I wanted to learn make A sword because my parents would not buy me one. <laughs> the old people that they were. Um, and uh, my mom got me a library card. <laughs> so I started. She didn't know. <laughs> she had no idea. So I started researching how they did it, and this was it. So I put together a forge when I was 13 took uh, had a, a brake drum out of an old truck mm-hmm. we had and a piece of pipe and my grandmother's hair dryer.
2: What? Oh, for the blower?
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> she was not happy about that. I bet. So I put all that uh, together and uh, my first Fire was wood, we, I used uh, oak that we had laying around. I grew up on a ranch, so we always had stuff laying around to do stuff with. And I had just a chunk of metal that I uh, used for an anvil. Huh. That was originally some sort of farm equipment. It was uh,
2: I could see that.
1: corn knife or something, I can't remember what, what the thing was. But it was sitting in a pile of scrap, and so I started hammering it out. Hammering it into a sword blade, and just never stopped doing it. <laughs> That's
2: cool. I remember that you made a chainmail out of coat hangers. Oh, one yeah. Time. Yeah,
1: still got that chainmail shirt.
2: Do you? Yeah, yeah. It was heavy as hell. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, and I've added to it since then. So it's oh, got full long sleeves and a, a koi on it now. <laughs> so it was about 70 pounds.
2: Yeah.
1: It? <laughs> no, it's fun to wear around in the summer in Texas. <laughs> yeah, no, I started doing, uh, well, these things, which I'm selling constantly. Yeah. Uh, but I've started making armor as uh, soon as I have five minutes to rub together, I'm going to start doing a full, full suit of armor. Really? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just keep learning new stuff.
2: What's the hardest metal, that, uh, not technically hardest, but what's the most difficult metal you've ever worked with? Stainless. Stainless? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of forgeable stainless steels, but they're very, very, you have to be very precise on the temperature range mm-hmm. where you're forging, or they'll, they'll get brittle and break. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just very, very difficult to work with stainless.
2: What about, uh, what's the easiest metal to work with? Oh,
1: well, the railroad spikes are the easiest things. Yeah. Because they're very low carbon steel. Uh, they're, they're considered a medium carbon steel. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not really the best thing for making knives, but you can temper them to an extent and right. make something that will hold an edge. So that's what I use in my, uh, my beginning bladesmithing mm-hmm. classes. So we make railroad spike knives.
2: So, what do you do in the intermediate?
1: In the intermediate class, uh, and I left the one that we're doing for the class out in the car, but this one, which is also made the same thing, we're doing swords made from a uh, lawnmower blade. Oh, cool. Yeah, so this is all forged out of a lawnmower blade. You can see right here. Yeah. That was where the bolt holes went. Yeah. And then this little curve here was the, the uh, place where it bolted up into the...
2: Yeah. I had a friend that tried to just add a handle to a lawnmower blade and make a machete, and it was the most gnarly, uh. dangerous-looking <laughs> thing that I've ever seen. I was like, mm, let's not do that. Yeah.
1: least no, They turn out fairly well. if You've got somebody to show you how to do it. Yeah. But, uh, that's what we're doing for intermediate class, and then, uh, we make, uh, for intermediate bla- or blacksmithing class, we make tongs. And, uh, chisels and punches. Mm -hmm. This is the tongs I made as the example. So you made them? them. Yeah.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah,
1: this is made out of uh, a piece of scrap steel like this.
2: It's almost embarrassing to admit growing up in such a already fabricated world that people are still able to actually just go and make things yeah, that yeah. then are useful to make other things. Well, and that's the
1: cool thing about blacksmithing, because in blacksmithing, you learn to make the tool to make the tool to do whatever it is you gonna do. Right. Like, I've got a lot of tools here that I've, I've made. To, this hammer is for sword making. And it's got a an angle uh-huh. on the hammer head that it's just exclusively for putting the bevel on a sword blade. And it also works as a regular hammer, too. <laughs> but, yeah, a lot of the things I do, I'm, I make a specific tool to for whatever function I needed to follow. Yeah. This is, uh, let's see, where is it? This is a called a drift, but this is a drift specifically for a Viking axe. Oh, it, wow. So that you, when you punch the hole for the uh, handle to go onto the the axe, this makes the hole the right shape. Very cool. So. Let's
0: see. <laughs> How y'all doing? So at Gladys City, tour groups come in And in addition to working on projects, Rob needs to be able to answer questions, do short demonstrations, and uh, he even makes widgets and nails in a matter of minutes just so that people can see a fully completed project. It's pretty cool.
1: One of the really coolest things I've ever seen was at a, a museum in Louisville, Kentucky, a blacksmith had bought an old house and burned it down for the steel. They did that a lot, too. Oh, okay. uh, it was an old abandoned house, and it was starting to fall in. But they burned burn it down and gather up all the nails, the hinges, yeah. anything that was mm-hmm. steel on the place. And this guy had taken all the nails out of a house, had heated them up in the forge, and forge-welded them together into a sheet
2: oh, of steel.
1: And then he took that sheet of steel... And turned it on a uh, on a form, and made a rifle barrel. <gasps> oh wow! And then he put food on the table for his family for years with that rifle made out of nails. <laughs> wow! How many nails it took to
2: make that one yeah. barrel? Hundreds. Yeah. Yes, yes. And it, uh, <laughs> it it was really
1: cool because you could still see the, the r- nails, the nails in, the the the, in the in the rifle yeah. barrel. Oh, wow! Wow! Well, that's like my
0: grandmother and grandfather. Were while blacksmithing was incredibly important for functionality, uh, you can make anything, for example. It's also important to remember that the artistry and the creativity that goes into that skill is just as important, especially to a blacksmith like Rob. And uh, it really shows in his work and in his designs.
2: That's where the art part comes in. Yeah,
1: it really is. That's, yeah, somebody was asking me not too long ago. Don't you want to make like hundreds of the same thing so you can? I'm like, no, I want to make one of the same thing, and then I'll make one of the next thing. A lot of people now, though, that are into this run like a production line shop, like a factory, right where they make. Hundreds of the same knife over and over and over and over and over again. And it's like, that's cool, I guess, but I just don't want to do that. Right. But then you'd be famous. Yeah, famous enough already. Right.
2: Well, and not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, the, some of the most famous artists. They tweaked everything. They did a little bit here, a little oh, bit there, yeah. Yeah. working towards what they wanted, not trying to recreate. They were trying to get to something that hadn't they hadn't fleshed Well, they were out trying yet. to
1: make something that was uniquely theirs, and yeah. not, not a uh, carbon copy of somebody else's work. That's. Uh, yeah, I was just watching a, a documentary on Dale Chihuly, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean. Sure, he went and learned his craft in Venice from the people that developed Venetian glass and, uh, and then he went crazy with it.
2: Yeah.
1: And did the Del stuff.
2: I remember when he came here.
1: Yeah, me too. That was, uh, I actually hung out with him uh, pretty much most of the time he was here.
2: Yeah.
0: The Art Studio is an artist collective that formed in Beaumont in 1983. And it's a place I kind of grew up in. Um, During my teenage years and my college years, I spent a lot of time there, going to a lot of shows, um, going to a lot of band nights. I even organized a lot of them. Um, I hope to bring you more stories from artists that came up there in the future. And in the 90s, world-famous glass artist Dale Chihuly came to Southeast Texas for a show. And given that Beaumont is a fairly small town, the artist community just exploded with energy. It was amazing. And if you're wondering who Dale Chihuly is, the next time you're at the Bellagio in Las Vegas, Nevada, look up at that iconic ceiling in the uh, lobby. It's gorgeous. And you'll know exactly who Dale Chihuly is.
2: So, okay... You started when you were thirteen, and is it a situation where you just never stopped?
1: Pretty doing much
2: blacksmithing, or
1: yeah, pretty much. I, I, at one point I took a, I think a, like a five-year hiatus from it mm-hmm. because I was just burned out and I was doing other things that took up too much of my time. But uh, other than that, I been blacksmithing for 42 years
2: yeah do you still have your your forge at home too or i
1: do have a home forge i'm unfortunately live in a neighborhood where i can't really operate it now Mm -hmm. so that's been really one of the big saving graces about uh, being able to work here at the museum yes i can work the forge all day and nobody complains
2: (laughs) So um, you teach classes here, uh, What what's the age range, I mean?
1: We we uh, cater to people from 16 and I think the oldest person we've had through a class was 75. Oh wow. So okay. anywhere in that area, I'm not afraid of anybody older, usually uh, anybody younger than that doesn't have the upper body strength to swing a hammer
2: all okay. day. How long ago did you start teaching the
0: classes here?
1: I've been doing the classes uh, this time for two years. I did the classes uh, up here in the 90s Mm -hmm. uh, for a short period. But uh, the last two years have been the most recent and the most prolific. Uh, We have classes that fill up within a day of Mm -hmm. posting them on the Internet. So we're doing really well with them.
2: What's been the most fun about teaching them?
1: Mostly, uh, I just really enjoy the ability to impart the information. Uh, A lot of these people will probably never do this again. But it's a skill that if they needed it, they would have it. And we have... We have lots of fun at our mm-hmm. classes, So we, get, we joke around and, and have a really good time, but t- at the end of the day everybody goes home with uh, a finished product and a skill set that they didn't have when they got here.
2: Have you seen any of them kind of return and really take a, take a liking to I it and want to stick with it? I have actually,
1: I have a couple of students that uh, have taken every class that I've offered. Uh, And I have one or two others that come back and and will take, I give blacksmithing classes and bladesmithing classes. Mm -hmm. So I've had a couple that want to learn the elementary version of both of those things.
2: What's the fundamental difference between the two?
1: Well, blacksmithing is more generalized Mm -hmm. Uh, the blacksmithing classes are teaching uh, in the basic classes I teach how to do uh, some decorative work I teach how to do uh, nails Mm -hmm. and and very basic general knowledge in blacksmithing bladesmithing classes uh, I teach how to make a knife from beginning to end so it's very specific
2: What has been the biggest challenge of doing these? (laughs)
1: Uh, Truthfully, it really hasn't been that much of a challenge. Probably the biggest challenge is uh, uh, a lot of the people that come here to take these classes have never picked up a hammer in their life. Mm -hmm. And... Just training them from, from not knowing how to do anything to being able to manipulate metal mm-hmm. is, is probably the biggest challenge. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of people like that, but there are enough of them to make it interesting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's been the most rewarding moment or the most rewarding part
1: of doing. I think really the most rewarding part of this is, is being able to, to pass this information on, to pass this skill on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, when I started doing this, there was no one teaching uh, how, to, how to do it. I had to learn this from uh, research material in the public library. Mm-hmm. So that's been the most rewarding part to me is the actual teaching of yeah. the skill.
2: Yeah, we learned a little earlier that you did. You started from checking out books in the library and, and doing it all yourself. Did you ever have someone that you met along the way to kind of help you find and hone tune those skills? Did you ever meet somebody that.
1: I re- really, uh, for the first, probably the first 20 years that I did this, uh, I was uh, solo and learning trial and error. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the. Uh, the very late 80s in 1989 um we started a blacksmith's association here in beaumont and uh, that was my first real exposure to other people that did this as a craft or Mm -hmm. as a hobby but knew other things in blacksmithing than what i had learned myself okay uh and so that was probably my first exposure to to really anybody else that did this.
2: Yeah. Did you, have you seen an upturn since I know a lot of the shows now, there's a lot of shows out there on I guess Discovery or or what have you, History Channel on uh, weapons and on on forging knives and things. Have you seen an upturn as a result?
1: Definitely. As a matter of fact, when we started doing these classes uh, was right after are right during, uh, the first season of Forged and Fire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a lot of the people that initially became involved in this were, were there because they had seen mm-hmm. those programs. Uh, since then though, there's, there's been a lot more involvement just because people are interested in learning, uh, the old crafts, the old ways of doing things. Uh, and there's always been that uh, kind of core group of people that were interested in that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think these days it's it's just getting we're so technological that people are really turning towards the older ways of doing things because they just miss it in their mm-hmm. lives.
2: Almost like a nostalgia for it,
1: exactly, uh, uh, kind of a nostalgia or kind of uh, just a, a basic human longing for being able to do things with their hands.
2: Mm-hmm. Probably a lot more uh, feels a lot more productive than staring at your social media or something. I say, as, as for a your console. cell phone.
1: Yeah,
2: I <laughs> <laughs> oh, couldn't have timed that better. Um, so. If somebody was interested in taking a class, uh, where can they contact you? Like how, do, how do they set up for this?
1: They, uh, they can check with me, me through the Spindletop Gladys City Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, the office here handles all of the booking for the classes. Okay. And they also have a, a website uh, and a Facebook page. Okay, so. we will
2: provide links for those. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to me. You're very welcome. And showing me all the cool stuff. And he made me a nice widget and a nail, which I I now have a new necklace as far as I'm concerned.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for coming. Thanks, Rob. It's been a great day.
0: I hope you enjoyed getting to know Rob and learning more about blacksmithing and bladesmithing. Um, I'm fascinated by it. If you want more information on how to take a class from him, you can call Gladys City at 409-880-1750 or you can email Info at gmail.com. Um, I urge you to go take a class from him and we'll put links in our information for the episode. Uh, thanks for always listening. Love you, mean it. Ta-ta. Natalie
2: song
1: every time i see you post something on
2: facebook <laughs> you gotta do the motion too that. it's not just a song on its own it comes with a dance and the whole whole bit
1: You oh, i forgot about the dance
2: you forgot about the dance the dance oh. is the biggest part of it Getting edited out
0: for sure.
2: (laughs)